Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sin Essential Podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. Joining me is Aaron Pinkston. Aaron, what's going on? Not much. Glad to be back. We, we've uh, had a couple weeks off. A little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, re- recharge, ready to go here. Uh, and uh, I'm talking about a pretty good film today. Yeah, I know you're a big fan. Uh, I'll get to my relationship in the, with the film in a minute. Uh, Sarah Gore. <laughs> Sarah, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm ready to talk about magic and romance. Your favorite things, I know. Um, uh, like I said, my relationship to the film uh, that we're talking about this week, which is uh, Jean Cocteau's uh, Beauty and the Beast, is that I haven't seen it, um, but I'm uh, a notorious uh, tag-along, so I'm here anyway uh, to chat with my friends, and uh, in my stead, speaking intelligently, uh, unlike myself, is uh, another writer for this essential first time on the podcast, Maddie Freeman. Maddie, how are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for uh, joining us and stepping in uh, after my uh, uh, movie-watching negligence. <laughs> but um, <laughs> since it's your first time on the podcast, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself and, and sort of like what movies you're into and stuff like that? Sure. Um, I mean, I love this movie, uh, and I'm a huge fan of French cinema in general, and um yeah i've never been on a podcast before so i'm a little nervous okay. <laughs> i guess it'll be fun no we've, it'll be we've fun. had a we've had a few first timers on the show so it's um, you know that that that's one of the reasons i wanted to start this site is to give people who don't have a lot of experience uh necessarily but really want to talk about film to do so so mission accomplished yeah <laughs> She did forget a key point, which is that she is also a very big fan of me. <laughs> I love hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love you too, Maddie. <laughs> we work together. It's not weird. It's fine. Awesome. <laughs> we do all have that in common. <laughs> um, and uh, again, before we jump into the film itself, the last time we all spoke was quite a while ago, as Aaron alluded to. And uh, we, of course, recorded an episode just a few days before the Academy Awards discussing our hopes and dreams. And uh, specifically, I wanted to ask Sarah Gore, because you said you would do just about anything to see Moonlight up there or Barry Jenkins for Best Picture, Best Director. And I'm wondering if you can give us sort of like the 60-second walkthrough of your thoughts as Best Picture Gate was unfolding in front of our eyes. My blood oath worked. (laughs) (laughs) I prayed to the MGM lion. (laughs) I feel like this is a different, (laughs) the story of a different Cocteau movie of uh, Orpheus, where it's like you you made a promise, now you cannot like look back behind you ever again, but Moonlight does have a best picture statue. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so as soon as La La Land was announced, I literally stopped listening. Like, I left the TV on, but I had, like, my phone out. I was drafting my, like, annoyance at the thing that I was expecting. And then all of a sudden, I just hear, but uh, but there's been a mistake. And I was like, hmm? hmm? Like, it just perked up like a dog. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Moonlight, you guys won. And I just started screaming. Uh, which was fine, because my husband was sitting next to me, and he started screaming. So we were both very excited. It was like... The- it was like when... Um, like when the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup with like two goals within a span of like less than oh, yeah. thirty seconds, like it was like that, but better because <laughs> there were no sports. So it was 
Um, but I was very, 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 very happy about it. Um, I wish the only, literally the only downside is that because of the way it went down, uh, I feel like the movie didn't really get its full chance to shine and like have everybody do their proper speeches. It seemed like everybody was mostly more confused and things got kind of rushed and like whatever, but I'm like, I don't care. Like whatever the right movie won, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that nobody will ever forget that Moonlight won Best Picture. Um, And I do love the uh, probably inadvertent dig that uh, Barry Jenkins had when he said to hell with dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was a nice bit of uh, possibly meta commentary there. I, I think all of my favorite stories about, Uh, the craziness that went down were from people who turned their TV off, like right after La La Land was announced or like stopped paying attention and like, didn't even realize what happened until, you know, they saw it on Twitter or didn't realize it until like the next morning when all the articles came out. Uh, (laughs) I mean that, I, I feel like that would even be a stranger experience than actually seeing it unfold in person. But uh, I, I will say though, I'll give myself a little bit of a pat on the back. I, I was right about the, uh, uh, at least in part for this year, that I, I just don't think we're going to see many sweeps or many big-time uh, winner counts in, in this current Oscars, uh, or this current Academy set in the rules. And, and we saw that play out, despite what a lot of people thought. So, yeah, uh, myself I, included. I was, <laughs> I was happy about that. I, I certainly didn't see a lot of the winners that did win coming. Um yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a overall pretty good set set of uh, awards in a in a, a a fairly pedestrian broadcast until until the. Uh, it was quite a scene. It was <laughs> quite a scene. Um, so, uh, with that out of the way, uh, before we get to the film, um, some housekeeping stuff that I wanted to mention. Um, stuff that normally gets relegated to the end of the episode, but if you don't always get that far, wanted to let you know. The uh, theme song that you just heard at the top of the broadcast is uh, called Half a Second, off the album Half a Second by the Hemingbirds, and we thank them, as always, for use of that song. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sin Essential. Search for us on Facebook, like our page, The Sin Essential. And at thesinessential.com, lots of awesome articles this week about Beauty and the Beast in all its many incarnations, and uh, some more really exciting films, films I'm excited to read about uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, finally, on iTunes, you can search for The Sin Essential, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, leave us some feedback. We really appreciate that, as always. And with all of that out of the way, time to get to Beauty and the Beast. Aaron, uh, you are sort of leading the coverage this week. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the film? I mean, the reasons why you chose it, I think, are fairly obvious to uh, yeah. $170 million worth of the uh, American populace, but can you tell us about your relationship to the film and uh, some maybe super basic plot points for the uninitiated? Yeah, sure. So, uh, it's, it's it's all pretty coincidental um, that we're covering this film, uh, in, at least in terms of the podcast, right after we talked about M, because I feel like even though those are very two like obviously incredibly different movies, they kind of sit in the same place in, in terms of my cinematic history. Uh, this is another film that I first encountered when I was really becoming a budding cinephile. Uh, when I was really 
seeking out, you know, films of different eras and different genres, you know, from, you know, from, from anywhere around the globe, from any time period, I was trying to see and take in as much as I could. And uh, Beauty and the Beast from 1946 was, was one of those films. Uh, I, I think I may have encountered this one because of the Criterion Collection specifically. Uh, I've tried to do about a hundred different times where I go from spine number one through the whole collection and usually get to about 20 or 30 and then life gets in the way. But uh, Beauty and the Beast is, is one of the first films that were released on Criterion. So I, I think it's spine number like six or seven. So it was one of the first that I discovered while, when I did that for the first time. Uh, and like you said, it's the perfect time to cover this film because the, uh, the current version, Disney remake of their animated version of the film, just came out this past weekend. Uh, it is an uproarious success. I think people expected it would be. I don't know if people thought it was going to almost get to $200 million in its opening weekend, which is pretty insane. Um, but it, it seemed like it was a, a good time to take a look back at this, uh, this version, which is my favorite version of, of any of the versions of Beauty and the Beast, even before I saw the, the new film that was in theaters. I figured, you know, even if that turns out to be a pretty good film and meets people's expectations, I, I don't see how it's going to be better than this. So I guess uh, before I ramble on, too much more. Uh, Sarah, do you want to take over and, and talk about your um, your uh, history with, with this film? Had, had you seen it before uh, I made you for, <laughs> for this coverage? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> See, that, that's part of the, in, in part of my opening sure. statement that you, that you saw, sorry, <laughs> part of the opening statement that, that I went into is I feel like nobody really thinks or talks about this movie, even a lot of film fans. So, uh, case in point, Sarah, <laughs> go ahead. Um, yeah, I've never seen it before. Uh, I'll, I'll, I want to get into my reactions to my first watch a little bit later because I have a lot of thoughts on it. But, um, I mean, I'm a child of the early '90s and '80s, so I obviously saw Beauty and the Beast, the animated film, in theaters. That's yeah. That's pretty much like that's where all of my knowledge of the story comes from is Disney and uh, how mad my older sister was because I made my cousin take us out because I started crying because the beast was too scary. <laughs> oh, no. But in my, in my defense, how old was I? It was 91. Yeah. Yeah. I was four. So. Yeah. Okay. He's pretty scary in the beginning. Oh, I yeah. There's some really die. scary things I remember from being a kid. Um, <laughs> Uh, Maddie, you said that you are a big fan of this film and of French cinema in general. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your first time watching this and when that was and have you seen it multiple times or is this, you know, your first time coming back to it in a while? Yeah. Um, well, I was really happy to see this like coming up on the essential schedule because it's just, it means a lot to me. Um, I guess I my very first memories of like even knowing about it were from like my dad talking about just like the special effects which Sarah you wrote about for this week um and just how incredibly well done they were and then I ended up watching it um I'm not sure if it was with my parents or 
just by myself, but uh, then my dad got me a copy of it, the Criterion <clears throat> DVD. He gave it to me for Christmas or my birthday or something, and um, I think that was in high school or college, I'm not sure when, but um, I still have it, of course, and uh, a couple times on Valentine's Day, my husband and I have watched it because it's so magical and so romantic and... <laughs> so like i said my relationship to this movie is i haven't seen it i really it's always been on my list of something i wanted to see because i'm a fan of uh, orpheus the uh um jean cocteau film that came a little bit later um and uh i just didn't do it in time to speak with all of you so whoops but uh Uh, i do here here, here's what we should do by the time of the next time we record, uh, I'll talk about you it. Prob- yeah. You probably don't have any more time to, to do it, but uh, you have to at least at some point you got to give us a report. Uh, I'll talk to you about it sometime. Yeah, it's going to be our new segment on every episode. We ask John if he's seen Beauty and the Beast yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. and it will just go on as long as it needs to until he says yes. I thought you were say <laughs> ask John if he's seen the movie we're talking about. um but the uh my relationship to the story is that i too uh am a child of the late 80s and early 90s and saw the animated film um like a dozen times as a kid and in fact when i went to disney world um as a child uh my sister we went to an exhibit where she got to dress up as Belle and have her photo taken and I had to choose either between dressing up as the prince or the beast and I chose the beast and so I yes. had a rock and beast costume on and uh it was wonderful so uh that's my relationship to beauty and the beast but uh, <laughs> um so uh I guess um Aaron is there anything else that you want to talk about in relationship to your um opening piece or just kind of general mm-hmm. thoughts on on the quality of the film yeah well I'll, I'll just say like to anyone who hasn't seen this version of the story uh narratively it it really isn't different from uh from the 91 version or the the new version in theaters um it is sort of a little bit more slimmed down it's a little shorter uh there isn't uh there, there aren't as many subplots and there are no talking uh teapots so that in my book is a plus um but yeah it's i mean it's 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 the basic story of there being a, a prince who has been put placed under a spell that has turned him into a beast and he'll remain that way until he captures the love of a pretty girl uh enter bell who uh stumbles upon his castle uh, well i guess technically her father does plucks a rose from his garden, is sort of uh, captured by the beast, and uh, Belle uh, assumes his place in captivity in, in, the, uh, in the magical castle. And, you know, through you know, throughout their relationship together, it sort of starts with her being scared of the beast, obviously, and slowly morphs into her um, finding a, a true, you know... Um, it's really more than kind of it is a romantic story but i feel especially in this version it's it's not romantic love in the same way that we normally think about romance in movies it's i don't know it it's it's i, th- I feel like it's a little bit more complex than that it's it's uh 
it's like the, there's more sort of tenderness to it, um, to the way that she feels for the beast by the end. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's it's a little bit stronger, I think, because of that, uh, because it is this sort of unique relationship that the two of, of them have together. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's a tale as old as time, right? So uh, they don't they don't change a lot narratively in this in this version. But what they do, what Cocteau does, uh, is is really approaches it with a a lot of emphasis on uh, style and uh, this sort of magical aura that he places over everything. And I, I guess we can we can kind of get into the specific look of of the film in in the the way that uh, Cocteau builds it through the effects that he generates throughout the film, which are just so like imaginative and clever and beautiful. Um, Sarah, I know that's what you wrote about for mm-hmm. your piece this week. So you want to take it over and talk about how, uh, how Cocteau's effects uh, work in the film? Yeah. Um, so, because the way I want to introduce it is kind of like, I put this on, you know, sort of like as an assignment. I was like kind of excited to see it, but I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like. And as soon as it starts playing, it's in this like very narrow format, like where the, it's almost got those widescreen bars, except they're on the wrong side of the TV to actually make the frame even like shorter. Um, And I was like, ooh, ooh, this camera feels really close to like, everything like I don't know if I I don't know if I like this I don't know if I like how this looks and I was just like I don't it feels like they're on a stage like I don't know like and then the second they get to the castle like I there was a point where my mouth was open like I was just like gaping and I talked to Maddie about it literally the next day and she said the best word she was like it's entrancing and I was like yes yes that is the right word (laughs) (laughs) and I, I I feel like I have to add the like you know, background of me being like, not sure if I was going to be into it because I was just, that's how bowled over I was by how powerful it was. Cause I was not primed to necessarily be like, Oh, I'm absolutely going to love this. I know I'm going to love it. I'm so excited to put it on. I was like very skeptical going in. And then it's still just like my brain melted mostly because the effects are so simple. Like there's, they're artfully done and expertly done, but they're so simple. Like just using like hands like just the the instead of like oh it's got there's a wire string and the goblet is floating in the air it's like no a hand reaches up from out of the table and pours the glass and it still seems really magical but I got very obsessed with how like everything was just like very tactile because everything feels real because it feels like they're because you know behind the scenes there is a real person you know underneath it all making it all happen and I'm kind of getting away from myself, but like I, I thought it was important that in a movie that's so um, in the realm of the fantastic, in the realm of uh, like dream, dreamlike imagery and um, fantasy, that so much of it just feels real because it grounds that fantasy in a way that doesn't make it feel like less fantastical. It just makes it feel like you could like walk into the screen and escape into that world if you could. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that, yeah. Uh, Maddie, go ahead. I think Sarah put it really well. Um, just the way that you feel like you're you're in it in a way that I mean, obviously you don't with a cartoon, you know. Like you feel like uh-huh. you're there with Belle, and you can feel the tension in the air because she doesn't know what's you know what's going on, and you can feel the 
draftiness of the old castle. And yeah, just the magic of the special effects is really something. Are there any other like specific um, effect moments that that you really appreciate or enjoy? Um, one thing that always comes to mind is uh, there's a scene where Belle, you see her, she's uh, she's coming down a hallway. Mm-hmm. So she's in the Beast Castle and she's uh, kind of exploring, you know, for the first time, maybe like what exactly, where exactly she is. And they filmed that. She's not actually walking down the hall. She's actually like on, I'm not sure what to call it. Like, like, a, like, a, like a cart. Exactly. Yeah. They're pulling her on a cart on a rope and her dress mm. conceals it. Um, but Cocteau didn't want to like film her walking. He wanted the magical quality of somebody just like being kind of lured lured down a hallway <laughs> um <laughs> and I just, I just think that's incredible like how like i feel like kecto was able to understand how the effects would translate to an audience when he conceptualized them and i think that's really amazing yeah that's cool aaron um you wanted to um jump in is this uh is there any effects moments that you love there are many. Um, <laughs> I, I did want to say though that it, it's. I think it's good to understand uh, Cocteau specifically, like where he's coming from artistically and, and how he designed this film. Uh, he he was he was a filmmaker who I think he only made like nine features. So he mm-hmm. he really isn't a prominent filmmaker. But I at the time he was a very well known poet in France. So I think he brings some of that sensibility in terms of like the heightened emotions, the meta, like the metaphorical and magical natures that, that he can bring. Um, but he was, he was also a surrealist. Beauty and the Beast is much less surreal than like his, his Orpheus trilogy mm-hmm. are at least the, the, the first one. What, what's the first one called John? Is, is it the Testament of Orpheus? Or, That's the last one. The first one is oh, okay. uh, oh, uh, blood of a poet, blood of a poet, blood of a poet. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's it's a it, that movie film is very surreal, much more like you know the Boonwell sort of style of surrealism, European yeah. surrealism. Um, but you do get some touches in Beauty and the Beast that that border on the surreal, like have already been mentioned. You know, using actual hands in you know in in, in various ways and throughout the throughout the castle, like holding the the torches on the walls. It's just a really kind of simple thing, it, it, but it could also be thing that something that's like straight out of a horror film. So there, there's that that sort of line there. I, I think the the most stunning effect uh, in the film comes in in the later part um, of the film, and and I don't want to give too much of it away, and it, it's actually kind of hard to describe, but has to deal with the the magic mirror that the beast gives to Belle. Uh, and it at one point transports her back to her to her home because her father is is in danger or ill. Uh, and, and the way that the effect plays for her being literally transported, it, it kind of like pulls her through a wall. And, and it's kind of a, a really stunning sort of moment. And, and again, borders a little bit more on like a surrealist design because it's it it's kind of hard to I think that's probably the 
the one effect in the film that's that isn't quite so simple. I mean, it may have been in its construction, but it's the one that is sort of the hardest to figure out exactly what he was doing there. Um, and I think because of that, it, it really sticks out. But yeah, I mean, I, I, pretty much everything in this film is is just just gorgeous. The the, the design of the beast, the costuming, uh, is is really amazing. Um, you know, unlike the the new version, which is you know at least in part computer graphics uh and obviously the animated feature which was all animation uh this is you know a real dude in a real suit and you know covered in 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 actual fur and it the way that it emphasizes the eyes of the actor uh jean uh, Marais, i think is how you say it mm. uh, is is kind of incredible because it's it's this sort of monotone color, and then you have these giant white eyes that that the actor has, and uh, Cocteau knows exactly how to emphasize them, and uh, really pops in a, in an interesting way, and, and gives a lot of extra dimension to to the character of the beast as well. Sarah, why don't you jump in? Yeah, because I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the costuming because that was something that I thought was just a really really important and really really well done and it kind of came up because a group of friends of mine that are more into um a little more into fashion a little more into sewing than me in that they actually know things about sewing (laughs) which i do not (laughs) um they they actually got in this kind of big uh discussion about the new dress from the new movie and just talking about how genuinely aesthetically terrible it is and like all of the little like mistakes they were seeing in it and just like dude is this glue and glitter on the bottom like did you not have embroidery thread with your millions of dollars and like even looking at pictures like it's really not a particularly impressive dress like I'm not gonna pretend like I know enough to say whether it's good or bad but I I'm like it's fine it looks like a ball gown like and it's yellow like the cartoon so good job there but then the dresses that uh, Belle wears that are on Josette Day in this movie like it was really just I was just like I want to wrap myself in a million yards of silk (laughs) and just like sit on a pile of pearls (laughs) um I've looked at the costuming for the beast just I've just like stared at it like where he has these enormous shoulders that are also a cape and it's absolutely stunning and perfectly appropriate and it just feels like nothing I've ever seen before and I think that there's just a lot of consideration that went into like kind of like playing on you know it's like a little bit operatic it's a little bit fantastical it's a little bit like you know kingly it's but it's like that's not anything like a king would wear like you know that's not something an actual royalty would wear it's somehow like better than that like it's bigger and bolder than that um and that was just something that real that was part of like when i was noticing that i was really getting swept away was when i was just like really dazzled by everything people were wearing Hmm. that's cool maddie you wrote a piece this week on in context piece about Correct me if I'm wrong, but John Cocteau's diary as he was making this film, right? Right, yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's, I say it's indispensable in my, in the thing I wrote. And it really is if you're into this film or if you're just into cinema in general, because it's like, 
if you want to see how a true like master of the form works, read it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he of course goes into detail about you know the day to day process of um, making a movie, um, and it's so fraught with um, just a thousand problems every single day um whether it's like the people or the lighting isn't correct or this something with the set isn't right but he just perseveres and it's just really amazing that he was able to make something so beautiful out of such hardship and yeah if you're just at all interested in like how movies are actually made it's really uh uh you gotta read it <laughs> So is it in, like, published form, like a book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's translated to English? Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's in English. Um, it's very accessible. It's not, like, you know, full of technical terms that you wouldn't understand. Um, it's just, it's, I, I can't overstate how good it is. That's cool, yeah. Didn't you, were you also telling me uh, when we were chatting about it that uh, Cocteau was actually, at least at some part, like pretty sick when he was making this? Yeah, yeah. He was suffering from like um, skin issues and like all sorts of things. He was in like immense physical pain during much of the filming and he worked through it, which I think is in pretty incredible considering how awful a lot of it sounds. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And Maddie, I'm I'm wondering how much um, did the the journal go into Cocteau's relationship with uh, with Murray, uh, the 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 actor who plays the Beast? Because um, I don't know a lot about the specifics, but I do know that they were they were lovers. Um, and I did, did does he not go into it at all? I'm guessing then. Okay, uh, yeah. I have to be honest. I haven't read it for a while. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I was consulting the Google Books version of it, which goes up to, like, page 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All my quotes from it are from, like, the first 10 pages. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know how, how publicly open they were. Uh, this was, of course, the 1940s. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, so it, it may not have come up at all through the journal. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't. But, um, but I know it, it was... Uh, uh, I mean, it's. I think it's... Watching the film, I think even without knowing that, you can you can kind of sense it a little bit in the way that Cocteau uh, photographs Murray. Um, sure. Yeah, and, and part part of the interest, actually, one of the most interesting things about the narrative that that I didn't touch on before was that uh, the actor actually plays two different roles. He plays both the uh, the Beast, obviously. Uh, also plays the, and it's not the same name in the film, but the Gaston. Oh, uh, uh, Avenant. Yeah, Avenant uh, plays the, you know, basically the Gaston character, the the love interest of Belle, who who wants to marry Belle, and then is the person who goes to try to kill the Beast. Uh, so you you kind of get two different sides of of the same uh, actor giving two different kinds of performances, um, but it. But yeah, like I was saying, the way that uh, the way that he is photographed, both as the beast and uh, as as a human, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the camera lingers on him and his face more than it does on Josette Bay's. 
who plays Belle, which is sort of uh, an interesting thing, but I think is telling given the uh, the the relationship that they had behind the camera. Uh, and and I, I'm I'm pretty certain because of the, all the illnesses that Cocteau had been going through, and he was he was much older as well uh, than Murray. Uh, it was a, sort of a complicated relationship that they had, but um, Ray, I know, was in uh, at least one of the, the Orpheus films, too, so he's an actor that Cocteau used a lot and, and was pretty much uh, openly amused for him, if anything else. That's fascinating. I hadn't really like thought about that aspect of it. So, obviously, uh, there's this great version of this story, but a lot of people would say that the animated version that Disney made in 1991 is, you know, certainly one of the best Disney animated movies ever made, and and they might have, uh, if you've seen both, I think that that crossover is probably uh, fairly few, but most of the people on this podcast are included there. Um, what what I, I guess I want to ask, and maybe I'll toss this over to Sarah, but did watching this movie make you appreciate the animated movie more or less or about the same? Less. Less? Uh, okay. Uh, why, why is that? Yeah. So, like, my love for Beauty and the Beast when I was a kid was, like, pretty intense. I actually forgot how kind of intense it was, but, like, I had the bedspread and the Barbie and the Ken oh. and, like, the Polly Pocket <laughs> version and, like, I was really into Beauty and the Beast. Like, she yeah. was my favorite partly because she, like, read books and that was a big part of the character. And I was like, oh, like, a princess that reads. I read. <laughs> How novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good pun. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't realize. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, so that was like, that was something that I was really drawn to. But it's also, it's uh, like a lot of fairy tales, a lot of Disney movies. It's something that's gotten, you know, a lot more flack, I guess, as I've become an adult and a more, more, feminist adult where they're like oh it's like stockholm syndrome the fairy tale and i'm like oh yeah it pretty much is like she's just locked in a cage and then he's like you love me now and she's like okay sure <laughs> thanks for um, the dress yeah right and um, so honestly that was also some of my hesitation with like where i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about this this version because i'm like i, I kind of mm. don't really like that story as a story anymore like it's hard for me to get over that like that aspect of it but yeah. then with Cocteau's version, I absolutely did. I just forgot about it. And then I was just like, that. I'm just so wrapped up in this. And that's not, that's not a way that I think any Disney movie I've ever seen has ever made me feel. Um, and so it just sort of like supplanted it as being the better. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's especially more, crazy more that it's uh, like 50 years older. And uh, that those sort of uh, gender politics aren't worse or that, you know, he's just so skilled a filmmaker that he can sort of uh, transcend that at least a little bit. Um, But Aaron, what do you think about comparisons between, I guess, for you, all three editions Mm -hmm. of Beauty and the Beast now? Well, I will say that I I don't have much of a connection to the animated film. I've seen it, obviously, um, but it, it, it wasn't a film that I watched a lot growing up. Um, I, I did have a younger sister who is uh, a few years younger than me. So she was more in the right in line with, uh, with the film. I think she would have been like four when it came out. So, um, so I did see it, but it, it wasn't one that, that we watched a lot. 
Um, and I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but I did see the, the the theatrical version that's now in theaters, the Bill Condon version. Um, I don't know if I really have anything unique to say about it. I think most of the critical consensus that it is sort of narratively uninteresting and unnecessary. Um, and, and, a, and a lot of people, you know, calling it a, a pretty paint by numbers retelling of, of the 91 version, I think is all, as far as I can remember of the 91 version, I think is, is pretty correct. Um, I, I don't really have any uh, association with the, the songs of of the film, which is another big difference between the the Cocteau version and, and the newer versions is their musicals, um, right. whereas the the Cocteau one is not. Uh, so I mean, obviously, that's sort of a fun added element to to the newer versions that that you don't get in, in the Cocteau version, but I don't really think that you're missing it when you, when it's not there at least at least when you have Cocteau's vision going on yeah I mean otherwise the the new film I mean it, it made a shit ton of money and a lot of people saw it and I think a lot of audiences responded to it I, I know I mean it was cute seeing I, I when I went with my wife this weekend there um there were young girls in the audience who had little you know bell dresses on and things like that which was which was kind of cool you know um to see that that's always fun um so you know I, i'm sure uh, young girls and young even young boys maybe even uh are gonna love this new version just like people of our age love the animated version coming up i i, I wouldn't doubt that uh in any way but uh otherwise you know it, it just wasn't a film that really brought much to to me on a narrative or a um artistic level uh i mean it you know it, it it it's very colorful and bright and it's well shot but the seeing the the mostly cg beast right after watching this version of the beast which is so tactile isn't a isn't a, a very good transition i mean i think overall it's fine and, and i did like when you when you could kind of see the little touches of um uh of dan stevens's performance through the beast I think there were a few kind of little gestures that it gives that I could recognize from other Dan Stevens films and TV shows that I've seen. I mean, he's an actor I really like. Um, so that was kind of cool. Uh, Emma Watson, I mean, I think was fine. She was functional. But she, I don't, I also don't have a lot of connection <laughs> with the Harry Potter movies really. So, you know, I, she's not an actress that I, you know, I, I, I have, much fondness for um oh, in go a, watch the in bling ring no, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> my connection to that is uh is, a, is never ending <laughs> yeah please sorry <laughs> no no that's fine um but yeah i mean that i guess that's pretty much all i have to say um yeah i wanted to kind of pounce on your uh talk about seeing this mostly cgi beast after the cocktail one because I mean, I guess to a somewhat boring extent, I'm that kind of film snob that likes to rail against CGI whenever she can get the chance to. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you have a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy it perfectly fine. Like it can be inoffensive, totally inoffensive to me. And it can be like unremarkably 
you know, whatever. And it can be great. It can be absolutely great. But uh, I, in my piece this week, I talk a lot about the other um, prior to like the Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast, the other remakes Disney had been doing with like Maleficent and Mm. Even though it's technically not a fairy tale, it's a Disney property now. The Alice in Wonderland and Snow White and the Huntsman and how heavily CGI those are to the point that it's just like, this feels like, it feels like nothing. Like when you're just like, everything is CGI, nobody's actually touching anything and they're just standing in front of a green screen. It's just so empty. And especially trying to like, think of like a fairy tale like that after watching all these real people really interacting with only the like most advanced technology of 1946, like, um, and just being like, all of that is so much better than everything that you have made with your millions of dollars in computers. Like, I don't know. Um, I didn't mean to go on such a tangent, but I did. (laughs) Deal with it and listen to it and enjoy it. For for positive on the film, I, I was on uh, the new film. I, I'll say that uh, of all people, Luke Evans has uh, is very good as the as uh, the guest on character. Um, surprisingly, so I mean, he's an actor. I feel like I've seen in a million things and never really think about ever. <laughs> um, but he he's actually a lot of fun and sort of a mustache twirling kind of performance. And and actually the 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 voice talent that they they get for the um uh for all of the you know the the and the inanimate <laughs> animate inanimate objects in the, in the castle are uh actually really strong um so strong in fact that once they become human by the end of the film you're like why are all of these actors in this movie <laughs> um and i won't spoil any of them in case you don't know who they are and do you see the film because it's it's kind of fun to see it at the end, um, even though it's like, again, why are all of these actors in this movie? But they like money. Yeah, <laughs> I literally was just gonna say that. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> the money's good. Um, have so... children and grandchildren or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll do it for you, Susie," and the check. <laughs> well, it is kind of interesting though because they, they, it almost seems like the so like the very last scene of the film is all these. They, they come, uh, not to spoil too much, but they all, all the human forms of, of these uh, inanimate objects come to life. And it, it does kind of feel like they, they only put that in the movie because they had all this talent um, and they wanted to show, show it off. Like, <laughs> like look, at, look at all these people we got in this movie. But um, that's a little bit of a cynical reading. Well, I think it's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, so any, like any other big picture thoughts on the Cocteau film, um, Maddie, is there anything else that we haven't talked about as, as maybe sort of the expert on the film and, uh, that, uh, you'd like to mention? Well, I'm, okay. So I'm scrolling through, uh, his diary right now, trying to find this line, uh, about, um, the process of filming it and like a period of austerity in France. He, I, I think it's worth thinking about how they were filming this story in 1945 right. in France versus filming it on a green, like on a green screen stage in the U.S. Um, and they had okay. 
they had almost nothing at their disposal um, comparatively. Whereas the film that just came out this weekend had like infinite resources. Mm-hmm. But uh, Aaron, you were saying before that like you didn't really connect with the movie that you saw this weekend. And I thought, I think that, uh, uh, I almost said Truffaut, uh, I think that <laughs> was like he taps into something just intuitively and artistically. And I think that that sort of connection is just completely lost when you're giving yourself over to the infinite resources of a green screen. That's all I got to say. I'm trying to find this line. It's so good. Well, we'll <laughs> jump around a little bit. If you find it, we can come yeah. back. But Aaron, concluding thoughts? Uh, well, I will say a minor correction on myself from before. I, I called Cocteau a, a, a poet, which I guess I don't think is technically true. But he was a writer and a playwright outside of film. So I think everything that I drew in, in terms of how he approached the film, I think, still still stays true. Um, yeah, I don't know if I really have much else to say. I, I, I hope that people check this film out. Uh, again, I, I don't really have a good read on how people actually, if, if people actually really think about this film. I, I mean, I think obviously most of the audience of the 91 animated film and of the new film out now have no idea that it, it even exists. You know, I, I imagine that most people who went to the theater this weekend thought it was the very first time that this movie has been uh, real life, you know, uh, non-animation. And, and in fact, I mean, Cocteau's I think was the first, but there's been other versions of it as well um, that, that I don't think people have, have really seen or talk about. There was even a TV show, I think, for a while back in the right. 90s. Yeah, I think so. Um, there was, think it was the... Uh... What is it? It was Netflix for a long time. Oh, what's it called? The Shelley Duvall Fairy Tale Theater. They did a version of it that's heavily influenced by Cocteau. Oh, nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. There was also a Beauty and the Beast for that just ended uh, last year. <laughs> like TV? Yeah. What? Yeah. If you look up the uh, if you look up the uh, like poster for it, you'll see why you probably haven't heard of it because it looks like stinky hot garbage. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I, like if you look at the like the the quick little thing. It's like while investigating a detective, can't, like I already don't care. Like I, <laughs> I stopped caring in the middle of the sentence. Well, I, I guess it was and urban, gritty there urban city was... and the beast. I guess there was a uh, there was a film from just a couple of years ago that was like trying to tap into that like teen romance trend. Um, I think it had uh, Alex Pettifer in it. Oh, uh, was it yeah, Beastly. I think Beastly. Yeah, yeah, I was reading looked, about that. It looked weird. It looked, yeah, I never, I, I didn't see that one, but uh, it looked pretty terrible, and I don't think the reviews were very good for it either. But. Yeah, so I mean, I guess with all of that to say that there have been a lot of versions of Beauty and the Beast. Um, I mean, it's it's the tale as old as time, right? So uh, it's it's had plenty of opportunities to be made into films and television shows. Um, but I, I mean, I which you know that that sort of takes a lot of the market share away from uh, from this version uh, from Cocteau's version of the film, but. Uh, I, I, I wish it, it didn't because I, I think 
definitely this is the most magical, the most beautiful, the most artistically realized version of the story that's ever been made. Um, and, and I hope that, you know, if we can get one person to see this film, <clears throat> John, um, that realized, then, uh, that, that's going to be a win for my book. All right. I'll try to do that. <laughs> uh, Sarah, are, you, Eddie, are you curious about this now? I know you did not want to no. see it. But... Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm curious about it. I plan to watch it. Uh, the timing was not great. I'm happy I got to hear uh, about about it from all of you. Um, so thank you for the uh, the education before I jump in. Um, but Sarah, why don't you share with us your sort of concluding thoughts? Um, I agree with Aaron in that I think if we can get, you know, just like one person to see it that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise, then I feel pretty good about everything. Um, especially considering that I think I make the perfect, one of the perfect kind of test cases for it where I didn't have necessarily a ton of interest or faith that I would like this movie. And I walked away not being able to shut up about it for like a week straight. I just couldn't stop talking about it. I made Maddie talk to me about it like every single day at lunch. I was like, Maddie, Maddie, but about Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> um, and I really, I don't want to oversell it lest that, you know, ruin it for anybody. But like, just, you know, trust me. The effects are simple, but they're so beautiful. Like, just trust me. <laughs> so I trust you. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. But. <laughs> um cool all right well um uh you can definitely read more about all of our thoughts on uh on this beauty and the beast uh as well as a few thoughts on um some of the other versions including the new one at the com. and again uh we thank you for listening maddie thank you so much for joining us yeah my pleasure would love to have you on again sometime soon and uh, aaron and sarah as always well done thank you and uh, and dear listeners, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.